scripture reading today is found in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law do human being, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Our Father, your word tells us that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So this morning, our Father, we acknowledge that we are completely dependent upon you. Unless you move, unless you work, our Father, nothing today could be accomplished. And so we pray, our Father, this morning that you come through the preaching of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit to let the light of the glorious gospel of Christ shine into our hearts today. Teach us that the gospel makes us right with you. And teach us, our Father, and help us to understand that we begin with the gospel and we continue with the gospel. And it's the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that helps us to grow and change and become everything that you want us to be. And so, Father, we're in a battle. But greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And so, Father, use the preaching and teaching of your word of God to change lives this day. And for that, we'll give you the thanks and praise because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the picture that we have today in our text is very dramatic and fearful. You probably wouldn't see it by just reading it at a glance, but indeed it is. And when I think of the word fearful, I kind of get chills up and down my spine. Yesterday I was riding home with my daughter and son-in-law, and they were in the car, and somehow or another they got on the subject of being closed in. And my son-in-law started telling a story about a family at the funeral of their grandmother and the preacher's up there waxing eloquent and all of a sudden they hear them knock on the coffin grandma was still alive so they opened up the coffin and rejoiced you know what that did to me <laughs> <laughs> That has always been my booger bear, waking up alive in a coffin, especially six feet under. You know, there's a little phrase that we use, saved by the bell. And back in the old days, they used to run a string down into the coffin, and, uh, and it had a bell at the end, and so if they woke up and no one was there, they'd ring the bell so somebody would come and dig them up. 
The picture that emerges in today's text is dramatic and fearful. And here's the reason why. Here we see that every individual is standing in front of God, the judge. The records are read, and as it were, one by one, the accused are given the opportunity to answer the charges made against them. Their guilt has been completely exposed, and they have no answers. Their mouth is silent. The mouth has been stopped. Now, according to what we read a little bit earlier in Acts chapter 17, this day is coming. Listen to verse 31 again. Because he, or God, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, do you see why Paul is so excited about sharing the gospel and about the righteousness of God to the church at Rome? If you have your Bibles open to the book of Romans, turn back with me, if you would, to verses 15 through 17. He says, I am so eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So let's look again this morning at our text. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Do you see it? For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. That means then that we need a righteousness outside of ourselves. And it's in the gospel that we learn that that righteousness we need is provided to us through faith in Christ Jesus. And so this morning I want to draw your attention to just two words. Word number one, revelation. And word number two, reason. The first word comes from this little phrase in our text that says this, now we know. Now remember, Paul is declaring God's verdict on fallen, unrepentant mankind. And now he says, now we know. And the word translated know in the Greek is the word hoida. And that word refers to that which is certain and complete. Something that we know with absolute certainty. And so what Paul says is, I know this with absolute certainty. 
So how do we know? What is the only thing that's certain in the day in which we live? And the answer is the Word of God, isn't it? It'll make us wise unto salvation. It'll make us thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word know, all right, with certainty. So how do we know? Because this is what the law says. In fact, what we're talking about here is the very oracles of God. Now, let me remind you of something that's so important. When we're studying God's Word, we always have to understand the context, correct? So what is the context of this passage? Well, if you remember, Paul has just rattled off verse after verse teaching us that none is righteous, no, not one. And what the apostle was asserting is, is that this law speaks particularly to those who are under the law. And the Old Testament, as we know, is of course primarily addressed to the Jews. The very oracles of God, of which the Jews boasted, prove in and of themselves that the Jews are under the condemnation as much as under the wrath of God as the Gentiles. And let's not forget that the Jews believed that through the, though the Gentiles were under the wrath of God, they themselves were not. Why? Because they were God's chosen people. So again, Paul gives this list of quotations and he proves from Scripture that the Jews also come short of the glory of God. Well, that's the first point already done. How about that? Now let's talk about reason for a minute. We're going to ask the question, why then has he done this? Why has he gone to such great pains to prove these Jews are under the wrath of God in exactly the same way as the Gentiles? Well, if you would, look back with me at chapter 3 and verse 9 of Romans. Remember what he said? What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So here Paul tells us why. And he does it with two objects in view. The first object is this. That every mouth will be stopped. Now let me ask you. Has anybody ever told you something in such a way that it just shut you up, you didn't have nothing to say? Guilty as charged, I'm not saying another word, right? That's what he's talking about here. And perhaps the best way to look at this, the point of this entire argument and these scriptural quotations is to silence the kind of Pharisees that our Lord depicted in the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. Would you turn there with me, please? Luke chapter 18. <clears throat> I want to start reading in verse 9. 
Now listen real closely to the first part of this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see it? This was written to render us speechless. To take away every desire to assert ourselves or to say, I've done this, I have done that. There's no argument left. Now, am I the only one that has a problem with asserting themselves? You hear a little story, but you're going to one-up them, right? Every mouth will be stopped. There's no more argument left. Now, let's take a test. What does this very law that we're reading and talking about this morning require of us? What is its demands? You're in the Gospel of Luke, so turn back with me to chapter 10. I want to start reading in verse 25. Luke 10:25. There the scripture says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? There it is. How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. How about a show of hands this morning? Does everybody here love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, every time? And love their neighbor as themselves, in other words, did for them instead of for themselves? The moment we realize this demand, there's nothing to be said, every mouth is stopped. Now, the second object that the whole world will be held is this that the whole world will be held accountable to God. Now notice that Paul once again teaches the universality of the condemnation, Jews as well as Gentiles. 
every mouth in the whole world be stopped. Every person born in the world since Adam and Eve fell is in this condition now, you see. So now let's ask this question. What then does it mean to be held accountable? Did you notice that in our text? Look, look again in our text. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. What does it mean to be held accountable? Well, first, this is an interesting word in the original language. This is the only time this particular Greek word is used in the entire New Testament. The only time. And this word has legal implications. The word means that mankind is answerable to God. It means being liable to and exposed to the punishment of God on account of their sin. So let me ask, can you see how important this argument is then when it comes to the subject of justification? Look again at verse 20. For by the works of the law no human being will be justified. There's our word in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The whole world has been proved to be liable in the very presence of God. Liable to the court. There's a prosecution. And in the law, if you have done something wrong, you're liable. So you're called to appear on the charge that you have been charged with, and then you have to give an answer and say, okay, guilty or not guilty. This is exactly what the law teaches. Now, with this understanding of what the text teaches, let me ask you then another question, a diagnostic question this time, to help you analyze where you are spiritually. Suppose that you walked out of here and some clown was driving 60 mile an hour through the parking lot and took you out, and now you're standing before the Lord Jesus Christ the sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe. All right? And do away with the two Irishmen and all the jokes that come along with standing there, right? And being at their St. Pete. And God looks at you, you're standing before the bar, and he asks you this question. What right do you have to come into my heaven? How would you respond? What would be your answer? Well, let me give you three possible answers. Number one, I'm going to call it being justified by good works. And so, in your mind, you're thinking, you know what, I've done really well. In fact, I've been a member of a club that helps people. And obviously, then, my good outweighs my bad. And God's pretty benevolent, and so he's going to wink, and he's going to let me in. Now, just suppose for a moment, someone said that to you while you was witnessing to him. What passage of Scripture would you take him to? 
Well, let me give you a good one. All right, take your Bibles and go to the book of Galatians chapter 2. And notice with me verse 16. All right. Now listen, this verse is McNutt proof. All right. You'll see why in a minute. Look at what it says in verse 16. Verse 16 says this. As soon as I find it. Oh, here we go. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, you see why it's McNutt proof? All right, three times he tells us what? You're not justified by the works of the law. All right? And I kind of need that help once in a while. All right? Sometimes when God says to me three things in a row, then I finally get it. And so what he's saying here is, is that your record will not save you. And listen, when you're witnessing to somebody, take them to this passage of Scripture. Because most people today believe what? That your good works is going to get you into heaven. In fact, when you tell them about grace, they kind of don't like it because they think their good works are going to get them into heaven, you see. Your record will not save you. It just won't happen, you see. Now, let me illustrate this with something I read in one of my commentaries about an old-time preacher who had shared the gospel with a guy who was a member of one of these clubs that I was telling you about that did good works. And he had shared the gospel with him over and over again, and the guy would always be on that you know what, I've done really well. And he took him to Galatians 2.16, but no help. But now the guy's dying, and he hears that he's dying, and he goes to visit him. And as he goes to visit him, there's a member of the club that's sitting there, because this club says nobody should die alone. And so they got a guy stationed with you during that time. And it just happened to be the time when the guys were being changed. And the old-time preacher says, is it all right if I stay around for a while? He says, well, why? And the preacher looks straight in his eyes and says, because I've never seen a man die without Christ, and I want to see what it's like. The guy laying there dying says, how could you be so harsh? And how can you say that in a time like this? but it opened up the door. And he was able to share with him about the righteousness of Christ. And he came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know if I'd have the guts to do that or not. <laughs> but boy, that's pretty tough, isn't it? But you know something? I've been with people that have died quite often. And I can tell you there sure is a difference. There sure is a difference. 
The second thing people might say is something like this. They'd say, you know, why should I let you in? And their response would be complete silence. You could see the gears going on and smoke coming out of the chimney, but, but nothing's happening, you see. And you're wondering, well, what's going on here, you see? And finally, the person might say, you know what, I haven't a thing to say. I have no idea what to say. Now, if that happens and you're a witness to somebody, you know what you need to do? You need to take them to our passage of Scripture today, right? Because this is what the Bible teaches. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Now, remember, we must all appear before God. And when we appear before Him on that last day, we will appear before Him in all His glory. And before all of God's glory, every mouth will be silent. But here's what I want to do. I want to take you to some of the responses of the biblical heroes that God has given a glimpse of his glory to over the years. All right? What is the response of the biblical heroes that got a glimpse of God's glory? Well, normally there was silence, was there not? Now, let me give you one example of a guy by the name of Job. All right? Job came into some terrible things. And Job wanted the answer to that important question that is always asked, why do the righteous suffer? And he had friends, but he got no satisfactory answer. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zelfu, and then Elihu all spoke to him, but no one gave him an answer. However, when God at last spoke, revealing himself to Job, I want you to look at this response. If you would, take your Bibles and go back with me to the book of Job, chapter 40. Look what it says starting in verse 1. Job 40, just before the book of the Psalms, verses 1 through 5. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Now listen to this. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job's response is, i got nothing else to say. You're God and I'm not. And you're always right. Let me give you another one. 
What about Isaiah? What was his response when he stood before God in all his glory? Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 6, please. Let's start reading in verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord he recognized that anything that he might say was unworthy, unclean, sinful. And he was silenced until what? Until the Lord intervened with a coal from an angel. But he said no more until God intervened. Let me just read one from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3 and verse 16. Habakkuk says, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness inside my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. His mouth is stopped before God. But let me give you just one more. And the one I want to give you is, is the beloved apostle, the one loved by Jesus, the Apostle John. And with that said, go with me to the book of the Revelation, please, chapter 1. Look at verse 12 and following. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flaming of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the war of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now listen. When I saw him, I fell on his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last 
and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death in Hades. And so God asks, why should I let you into my heaven? Because of my good works. No, no. That warm. Well, maybe you're there in your silence because of God's glory. You know you're plain guilty. You put your mouth on your hand like Job. I said there was three ways you could respond. And here's the third way. And the only answer. <clears throat> we could stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe, and tell him, that it's not anything that I've done that will enable me to go to heaven. But it's everything that you have done on my behalf that will make me able to go to heaven. It's not my works, it's your work. You're the everlasting. You brought a way to bring faith into my life. I am not righteous, but your son is. And the Bible says he died to take our place. So he could take his righteousness and give it to us, impute it to us. And the Father can see us now in the Son. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the answer that will get us into heaven. Now can I ask you this question? What is your answer? Can you say this morning, I have the imputed righteousness of Christ? Or are you still counting on something you've done or plan on doing? Listen, one day, according to Acts 17.31, we will all stand before the sovereign God of the universe. And have our eternal destinies judged with finality. <clears throat> and the only answer that will work on that day is to be in Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, that's why he came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting You know what? I don't want to be buried alive, but I don't fear death. Because the Bible teaches, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Could you imagine sucking in this old nasty oxygen here, and then exhaling up into heaven, and then bringing in something good for the first time in your life? You know, ladies and gentlemen, Paul, since Romans 1.18 has just been pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding and saying, you're guilty, you're under condemnation. There's no one that's going to get out of it. You know what he's going to do? Starting in Romans chapter 3 and verse 21, he's going to tell us about the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, and what Christ has done on our behalf. My brother, if you're here and you know the Lord, that same 
Resurrection power is what makes you able to live the life that God has called you to. You can't do it in your own power and strength. But in Christ you can do it. But listen, if you're here this morning without Jesus, repent of your sin. Put your faith and trust in Jesus' completed work. His death, burial, and resurrection. His blood forgiving you for your sins. <clears throat> then and enjoy that eternal life that God has provided for us. Let's pray together. <coughs> Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture and being reminded once again that one day we will all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of this universe, and have our eternal destinies judged with finality. We're thankful, Father, that because of Christ and what He has done on our behalf, we can stand before the bar of heaven and our Savior, the Lord Jesus, will become our advocate, our attorney, and He'll come to the Father and show Him the hands that have been marred with the, with the uh, uh, nails and His feet that have been marred with the nails and, and, the, and the, the prince in His head from the thorn of crown. And He'll remind them that He took their place and we will be set free. Father, if there's somebody here this morning that's never trusted you, help them to see their need for a Savior this morning. Give them the faith and the ability to cry out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I have sinned against you. I have nothing to say, but I believe that you love me and you sent your Son. But God commends His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I need Jesus. I want eternal life. And then, Father, for those that know you and love you, let us plug into that great power in the universe to help us to live for you and help us to rejoice and live a life of thanksgiving, our Father, for what you've done on our behalf. Father, we give you the praise and thanks for everything now in Jesus' name.